Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Tensions are mounting in China, ahead of the G7 summit and within the House GOP caucus. We discuss these tensions and the concept of negative capability and language as privilege. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We hit our goal of 500 patrons on Patreon. Woohoo! Thank you, everyone who stepped up to be part of supporting Pantsuit Politics. If you still want to get bonus episodes, the nightly nuance Monday through Thursday, and which is an eight to 10 minute podcast every single day, Monday through Thursday, about what's going on in the world, you can head over to patreon.com slash politics. We are very, very encouraged by all of the support and excited to continue to grow the show. Also, shout out to Beth for doing most of the nightly nuance. If you have an idea 
of what you think would be a good Nightly Nuance topic, send those on. Yes, please. <laughs> we had a, we were on the struggle bus yesterday. <laughs> if you are tired of hearing me talk about Supreme Court and other court decisions, just give me some new things to work with. But I do tend to default to let's talk about lawyerly things. Mm. So today we wanted to talk about a lot of news stories in which we see tensions rising. It seems to me, Beth, that all these stories represent what I like to call, I didn't coin this phrase, I think it came from uh, Pixar or Joseph Campbell or somebody in the the tradition of storytelling, which is the messy middle, which is a high tension part of the story. And it seems like in, in a lot of areas, it's including and especially foreign policy, we are in the messy middle. Can I be a little woo-woo for a second and tell you that I've been talking with my therapist about how it feels like the whole earth is experiencing that, that this is a universal condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, watching that footage out of Guatemala and Hawaii with the volcanoes, Mm -hmm. I just feel like my therapist's phrase was that the earth is groaning. Yeah. And I think that that's where we are in the, the arc right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have the North Korean summit that was canceled. It's back on. How soon was it before he brought it back after he canceled it? Less than a week? Yes, it was less than a week. It was like whiplash. We had just talked about how it was canceled and then it was back on. Oh, whatever. So it's back on, but he's very um, cagey, he being President Trump. Apparently, there was a – did you read about the FEMA meeting in which he went off on very, very, very random tangents about lots of things completely not related to FEMA? and There were no no, no hurricane discussion apparently at the FEMA meeting, which is what the FEMA meeting was supposed to be about. Right. And so he talked about um, North Korea. I don't know. Who knows it'll happen? We'll see. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. I don't know. I think think that's pretty much a direct quote. Well, and the reporting that everyone's kind of obsessing about in relation to the meeting is that it's going to be sort of like Celebrity Apprentice International Relations Edition because Dennis Rodman is going to be there and uh, Sean Hannity is going to be there. You know, I am much more interested in what's happening on the North Korean side in preparations for this summit. I also think that this um, story intersects with something we've been texting about all morning, Sarah. And what is happening with our diplomats in China? Because China's role in however this shakes out is going to be pivotal. Mm-hmm. China is a key ally. I don't know if ally is quite the, the right word for North Korea. And obviously, we have a very complicated relationship with China. So the story starts a little bit further back. Um, there were, I don't know what to call them except for maybe sonic attacks. I don't know. Several months ago in Cuba, 24 diplomats and their families became victims of a weird, I don't know whether word to use it. That's not a very official term, but it's weird. Medical attack issue, physical ailment in which there seems to be some sort of injury to the brain, but no associated head trauma, which left them with all manner of side effects, hearing loss, loss of balance, things that you would associate with head trauma. So we expelled Cuban diplomats as a reaction to these attacks that really haven't been explained. We don't understand what happened. We don't understand who did them. And then now we're seeing very similar physical ailments from a lot of our staff in Guangzhou, China. And I don't know how many people this impacts. We know that at least four 
uh, foreign service workers are coming home from Guangzhou and that they are that that includes like the foreign service worker and a spouse. The three year old child is having these mm. symptoms. They describe the noise in in different ways. Some people say it sounds like cicadas. Some people say it sounds like marbles rolling around in a funnel. And the terms we're struggling with language on this. So are the articles. You know, mm-hmm. they'll talk about it as mysterious. I think someone associated with the situation in Cuba said that this is just paranoia and hysteria and nothing real is going on. But there are real medical impacts being found. And they're varying, too, as you can imagine. But the sense now is that if this is happening in China, and there were allusions in both the Washington Post and New York Times articles, I think, to the to the suspicion that there are isolated incidences of this happening to other foreign service workers throughout the world. Mm. And so now there is the possibility that another state actor is responsible. Like this could be the work of Russians. It could be the work of the Chinese government. We don't know. But it is a very mysterious thing. And I find this... This seems to me like the stuff of Hitchcock films That's what, exactly in our time. What I said. So this sounds like a movie. It's so it's so terrifying. And you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are sort of saying there could be other explanations for this. It could be something to do with the equipment we use in our diplomatic areas to protect our communications to sort of block signals. It could be a, the impact of new machinery we're using. I don't know. The location of both of these attacks is so suspect. If it was machinery we're using across the world and it popped up in, you know, Monaco, then yeah, maybe we could talk about it. But this is just the, the locations and the 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 amount of people affected, although I think it is even more terrifying to think that there could be many more people affected that we just don't know about yet. It's, it's I think it's really scary. And there seems to be a sense among some of the foreign service workers that this hasn't been taken seriously enough, quickly mm-hmm. enough, and that information hasn't been as transparent as it needs to be about this. It does sound like Secretary Pompeo is taking this very seriously and wants to avoid um, people believing that this is being mishandled. I think he thinks that this wasn't taken seriously enough in relation to Cuba and is trying to press forward. And I commend him on that. We ask so much of people doing this work mm-hmm. overseas. And the least we can do is hear them out when they say, I'm being essentially, you know, slowly poisoned by noise. I mean, that's how I read it. Like, we just can't have this happening to our folks, whether it is the result of our own equipment or of a foreign power. We need to take this very seriously. And I am I am happy that Secretary Pompeo seems to be doing that. So continuing our theme of tensions rising, the G7 meeting is coming up. It will be taking place in Quebec. Uh, That is Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Not surprisingly, it is being watched very closely, and there are rising tensions due to the president's placing of tariffs on steel and aluminum with many of our ally countries included in the G7. I read this morning that President Macron of France and perhaps uh, Prime Minister Merkel of Germany have said that they would not sign on to the G7 statement 
unless some progress could be made with regards to the tariffs, with regards to Iran and perhaps the Paris Climate Accord. I don't know what other choice we've given these countries except for to gang up against us. I'm just going to be really honest. There's a great piece in The Atlantic that I posted on Twitter this morning and we'll share in the show notes about all of the tension arising here and about how these European leaders and and Justin Trudeau have really tried to Mm -hmm. meet the president where he is. They They have have tried to play golf. They have, you know, cozied up to him. They have flattered him. And in They give him that big fancy parade in France. That's right. In every respect that matters to them. The United States has screwed them over, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it also says that um, at the preview meeting for the G7, the finance ministers met in British Columbia last Saturday. And um, Japan's counterpart to Steve Mnuchin said that he actually felt sorry for Steve Mnuchin Mm. because people were so angry about the U.S. tariffs. And then he added, but I guess it's not the sort of issue I should sympathize with. (laughs) But I wanted to read, I think this is really significant. I wanted to read this. This is actually from the G7 chair's summary of last Saturday's meeting. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. 
because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Over two days of discussion, G7 finance ministers and central bank governors engaged on a range of topics, including the importance of rules-based international trade and ways of ensuring that economic growth works for everyone. G7 finance ministers and central bank governors agreed that when they work together, the G7 can build on strong interpersonal and economic relationships to advance our common goals. Concerns were expressed that the tariffs imposed by the United States on its friends and allies on the grounds of national security undermine open trade and confidence in the global economy. Finance ministers and central bank governors requested that the United States Secretary of the Treasury communicate their unanimous concern and disappointment. Wow. I mean, that is some strong language coming Mm -hmm. out of the G7. I'm really frustrated right now because it feels like the tensions are rising, but we're doing what we always do, which is get distracted by the shiny objects and the you know, whether or not people should kneel or stand or come to the White House or not. And that his, for some ungodly reason, approval ratings seem to keep going up. And I don't know if it's the strong economy. I don't know if it's not a clear and present threat. But I like to believe that eventually Americans as a group will look around and see what's happening with our relationship with the world. It's so concerning and it's so dangerous and it's such a threat to our ongoing prosperity and security and growth. And just because everything is not terrible right now, especially with regards to the economy, I don't know why we can't see the long-term impact of this posture and having something as terrible, in my opinion, as the other countries in the G7 using that kind of language against us. Well, and you mentioned last time we talked about this that gaps get filled, Mm -hmm. and that's happening. Uh, Vladimir Putin is visiting European capitals to press for closer trade relations and for a united front on the Iranian nuclear agreement. Oh, my gosh. And China is stepping in with commitments on emissions reduction to show that it is a player in the Paris Accords. China and Russia are going to use our missteps to increase their standing in the world. Yep. That's what's happening. Yep. It's so frustrating. I, You know, if we want to, I posted on Twitter this really great quote, and it just made me think about how we re- we're reacting to all this generally. I heard it actually on Oprah Super Soul Sunday. It was a podcast about Buddhism. It was very good. Highly recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes. But it said, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. 
you know, if we want to just close, like you said, I, the security concerns are what? We are closed off. Like we're only safe if we allow nothing in. And, you know, with regards to we're going to talk about the House debate regarding immigration, but immigration generally, the way the president talks about it, the way he talks about, oh, Democrats only want a legal. Im- I mean, just the incendiary language, the idea that we'll just close ourselves off from the rest of the world and remain a global leader. Or maybe people just don't want us to be a global leader anymore. I don't understand that either. That's such a foreign concept to me that America wouldn't be a leader in the world. But maybe that's not what people want. I don't know. I don't know how to unpack that because I think if you pull the average person, I think they might say, I don't want to be a global leader in terms of having our military everywhere. I agree with that. And they might say, I don't want to be a global leader in terms of sending all this foreign aid to different countries. I don't agree with that. I think they might also say, but I want what America does to matter. I want to still be the greatest nation on earth. Doesn't work like that. You know, and and that's the thing. Like, I sense that maybe popular sentiment about making America great again. And even people who aren't um, in sort of that hardened Trump Trump base, but just just the average person probably has a really philosophically inconsistent perspective on what America's place in the world should be. And I don't want to stand in judgment of that because we all care about different things at different times for different reasons and and can't stay focused on these issues constantly. And to me, this is where trust comes in and rebuilding institutional trust is critical because at some point we need a president who can sit down. I was actually talking with a friend of mine about this the other day, and and we were talking about how we really wish that our military engagement across the world could come way down. Mm -hmm. And I said, here's my not nuanced take on that. That will not happen until we have a a woman in the the Oval Office. Mm hmm. Because it is going to require an unbelievable level of moral courage. And also it's going to take someone who can sit down with the American people and explain what we're doing and why. And I just think that that is, that is bringing sort of the mothering leadership characteristic that the country needs right now. I, I don't think it'll happen otherwise. So I get why the average person might have a confused platform on this. I do not understand the president and the administration having a confused platform on it. And it seems to me that President Trump wants to talk about every world leader as his best pal while he is stabbing them in the back Mm -hmm. at the long-term expense of our economy and our alliances across the globe. Yeah, I saw where he was complaining about Justin Trudeau and Macron. I don't want to be lectured to. Well, then stop acting like a child and people will stop trying to lecture to you. Like, stop acting like there's no give and take in a relationship and people will stop treating you like that. Like, I posted on Facebook that I think parenting is saying in a million different times in a million different ways, you are not the only person on planet Earth. Adjust accordingly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if anybody's ever said that to him. Like, you're not the only person here. Your priorities are not the only priorities. Your ideas are not the only ideas. Your, like, it's so frustrating. It's just so frustrating to see him doing, taking the same approach. I, I'm, it's not surprising. It never, it, it's never become surprising because at this point we know who he is. But it sure as heck never stops being frustrating. It'll be interesting to see what Republicans in particular do 
as these tariffs start to take root and we see the effects of them. Because I think right now, a lot of Republicans' message is, look away Mm -hmm. from the drama. The economy is doing great. So many jobs. You're taking home more money in your paycheck. And when people in small businesses cannot get access to steel that they need to do their work, Mm -hmm. or uh, when the prices of gas, milk, whatever start to go way up, the look over here is going to be a lot harder. Well, speaking of Republican leadership, Republican politicians, their moderates in the House have joined with Democrats for a petition to bring debate without needing the Republican leadership's permission, basically, to a whole host of immigration issues. And I think reading some of the statements of these moderate Republicans are really encouraging, honestly. They just say, you know, people want us to do our job. They want an answer on DACA. They want us to legislate, and we need to do that. I mean, many, many, many of the things that we say on this podcast all the time. So the movement itself, I think, is very encouraging. There are only three signatures away as we record on Thursday. They're having a meeting um, in an attempt to reach a compromise, which I find highly unlikely, not only because they've been trying to reach a compromise between the Freedom Caucus and moderates and Democrats for a very long time, but I don't see how you pull 200 people in a room and try to get that compromise done after Paul Ryan's PowerPoint. Like, I just, I think that's unlikely. I also think the moderates have nothing to gain by compromising at this point. So um, it's nice to see a sort of a mini moderate revolution forming in the House of Representatives, I got to say. Well, and it's not just the moderates. You know, the Freedom Caucus is pretty entrenched. They tanked Mm -hmm. the farm bill over this. And I I will say for both sides of that, you know, the the prevailing narrative and reporting about this seems to be that, like, the two extremes in the party, because now the moderates are considered extreme, right? Mm -hmm. So the moderates and the, the Freedom Caucus types, the two extremes, are pushing this this horrible direction. I commend both of those extremes for saying, let's just stand up and be counted. Let's go on record as to where we are. I agree. Let's put these bills out and vote on them and then see what the Senate does. And Politico has described this whole thing as a PR stunt, essentially, because there is so little chance of any legislation that, that actually gets passed by both chambers and signed by the president. But you know what? I think it's still worthwhile. I totally I agree with the people saying we, we should do our jobs. Yep. I remember when I worked in the Senate and I would go and take tours of the floor and people, there would be like one lone senator talking to an empty room. And I thought, if I'm ever in charge and I'm ever party leadership, I'm just going to say, you know what, guys, we're just going to stand. We're going to show up and do our jobs instead of being in the corridors, talking to the press, raising money and talking to lobbyists. We're going to come down here on the floor of the House or the floor of the Senate and be counted and say what we want instead of to a room and debate and actually use this body in the way it is intended. You know, there's something so charming about the British Parliament and the way they sort of just kind of yell over each other and get into it. I mean, I think we could use a little bit of that. I agree. And I I am very interested to see if they um, can get out of this because I, I, I really hope that this meeting just doesn't work and they have to vote. I do too. What, what else are they going to learn about immigration that's going to change where people are? Mm-hmm. And so in advance of an election, tell the public where you are. And then, and then the public can look at that and decide who we're going to elect in the midterms. Well, and I think if you look at the results in the primaries in California, New Jersey, Iowa, you see a 
shout back to what you were just mentioning about a mothering form of leadership. I think the main takeaway from all these is women, 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 women. I think women, people want to see new faces and positions of power and many times they're female faces. So hopefully that this moderate movement will be joined by lots of female voices come November. Not mad about that. Not mad about that. Not mad at all. Sarah, you wanted to talk about a concept called negative capability that I have a feeling will connect nicely with many of the topics we've been discussing. Yes. So I am reading Michael Pollan's book on psychedelics. And y'all, I'm just going to be talking about a lot because there's so many fascinating things in this book. And when we were talking about the messy middle and tensions rising, I mean, there's an argument in this book that psychedelics could really help some of this. Um, But he was talking about in the book that there's this idea of negative capability. And it's actually, it's, it's a concept that comes from writing. And the concept is that people who have the capacity for negative capability are better writers because they're not trying to come to an easy conclusion. It was Keats that formed this, and he was specifically referring to Shakespeare. The ability to exist amid uncertainties, mysteries, doubt, without reaching for absolute, whether these are are those of science or spirituality. And he was making the argument that that's what makes good drama. That's what makes good literature. But I think that's just something we need in everything right now, not just art and writing and um, creativity, but creativity and politics and policy and business. And this idea of abandoning uh, the linear way of thinking, of abandoning speaking in absolutes or in this sort of zero-sum equation in which there are winners and losers and that's the end of the, that's all she wrote. I think it's something that we've sort of been talking about a lot on this podcast and I just really enjoyed seeing a a word or words given to this concept that let's just have the ability to stay in the messy middle and look at the tensions without trying to reach a conclusion. I think that's what we talk about a lot here and on The Nuance Life when um, you you talk about a choice or you talk about an idea and everybody feels judged. That's a lack of negative capability. You can listen to somebody else's position and not immediately um, come to a place of defensiveness. You can rest in uncomfortable truths, Bill Clinton, and not have to come down on one side or the other. It reminds me of something that I learned, I think, in an RA training, which is probably one of the best trainings for life I've ever had. Mm. You learn to be an RA in college. But I think it was there that we talked about how One of the best measurements of maturity is your comfort level with ambiguity. Yes. We had a really beautiful email from a listener that was talking about dealing with difficult situations in her life. And she said, we want to sort of firm up and grasp tighter when we're in situations where we don't have a lot of control. And I think that's where you see that. You can either lean into this negative capability. And she's had this beautiful phrase where she says, we can't always choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we react. And I thought that was such a wise way to put it. Like, that's the the mature approach to ambiguity, right? Is saying, okay, well, I don't know. Um, I don't know the best fit for the best path forward. I don't know the right answer. I don't know if there is a right answer. But I do know that I can be comfortable with this ambiguity. I can lean in. I can develop my negative capability and just say that we're going to stay here in the I don't know, and we're going to figure that out, and we're going to look at these difficult, complex situations without picking sides and declaring winners and losers. 
I had that reaction to an email that we got from Kyla about our conversation as near the end of Tuesday's podcast when we were talking about developing greater relationships with each other as a key to resolving complex problems like income inequality. And Kyla said, I, you know, I really appreciate this focus on relationships, but how is a giant country like the United States, how are we supposed to develop relationships among 300 million people? And I thought, I don't, I don't know. Um, and I think that that requires some combination of policy, judicial decision, neighborhood work, community work, strengthening Mm -hmm. institutions so that there are more places. You know, church isn't the answer for everyone, but I think churches have a very critical role to play that they they frankly aren't playing very well right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them are. Some of them are doing amazing things. But on the whole, I think damage to that institution has damaged our society. Mm-hmm. And so I think it has to be a combination. And um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what set of tools we're supposed to bring to those problems, but I'm OK with that. I, I, I want us to just try and yeah. have some priorities and some values in that process as we march forward. The last thing we wanted to talk about today quickly is a conversation that I had with Dante, which connected with a couple of other things that Sarah and I've been talking about this week. Dante was saying to me that the president's use of Twitter, grammatical mistakes, spelling errors, random capitalization, strange uses of scare quotes, is really privileged because think about whether the the reaction when you criticize that from some people becomes, well, you know what he means. Stop, Stop nitpicking, you know. And I have that reaction to people who are obsessed with grammar in the commons, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're, I don't like it when somebody posts something on Facebook and and someone comments with a real finger wagging grammar lesson, because I do think, can we give each other some space here? You, you know what the person meant. It's not that I don't value grammar. I just think that that's a little over the top. But this is the president of the United States. And we have at least one federal court judge who is saying the president's Twitter use is an official proclamation now, such that he can't block people on Twitter because he's using it in a way that makes it a pronouncement of the president. Now, I disagree with that opinion, but that's another show. And Dante's point was, can you imagine if the president were using slang, especially slang particular to a racial or ethnic group, or broken English, or if President Obama made errors like this, um, especially errors that corresponded to like hip hop kind of slang, that it's really a privilege to have people say, "Ah, oh, you know what he meant." And I thought that was interesting. I think that might sometimes when I'm when I'm feeling a lot of frustration towards President Trump, I think that might be his most sort of genius use of public relations, and I think it's what he was he meant when. He said, I could choose someone in Times Square and some people wouldn't get mad. He has crafted this space, this persona in which everything can be blown off. You can't ever attack him. He can have controversies that would have seemed to tank any other presidency from the Russia investigation to Stormy Daniels to all these things because he just he's so slippery. It's just everything is. Well, you know how he is. It's almost like in owning his true nature from the beginning, he removed it as a as a line of attack. And I think that is a very privileged um, sort of strategy to say, 
Yeah, well, I told you what I was going to do. I told you who I was, so you can't be mad about it. That's You hear that from people all the time. Well, yeah, that's just who he is on Twitter. Just ignore it. And it's so frustrating. Do we have, you know, and it's, it's frustrating, I think, particularly as someone from the left who felt like, you know, for decades it was the, the right was the moral authority. We have to have standards. We have to have um, values. It's so important to stick up for our values as Americans to see this man as his face who who has no values. And when you point that out, it's like, yeah, but that's who he is. So just just roll your eyes and blow it off and laugh it off. And, and I think that that is I think that is a privilege to to mm-hmm. create the benefit of the doubt for yourself all the time to insulate yourself yep. from all criticism I'm not sure that we would give that to to anybody who isn't an an older white guy who'd been incredibly successful economically. There, there's just a lot. There's kind of a bubble built around him uh, and lots of layers to that bubble. And I think Dante has a really great point that even language, even the rules of language don't apply <laughs> to Donald yep. Trump. Yep. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra 
problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, and we have, we've had some other interesting conversations about language. We've had several um, pieces of feedback over the last few months about our use of the word girlfriends to describe our close female friends. Uh, Kiri wrote and said, as a queer woman, I feel that heterosexuals using the term girlfriend to refer to platonic friendships invalidates or lessens the seriousness of romantic relationships between queer women. If you instead call your girlfriends your friends, I'm sure all listeners will still know exactly what you're talking about. Thanks for the nuance. We've actually had this feedback before. And I said, I struggle because friends is not strong enough for sometimes what I'm talking about with girlfriends. And girlfriends to me is like, I don't know if I would describe one of my queer friends partners as as a girlfriend because that feels very juvenile. Girlfriend, boyfriend sounds like a very sort of juvenile term. So I think my first thing is, does anybody have any better words that we could use here? Does anybody figured out a better way to talk about close female friends and or queer partners? Because I would love to hear it because I think we have a, ling- a linguistic struggle here. I think it's a linguistic struggle. I also am realizing more and more and and this is in reaction to this feedback and and lots of others on lots of different topics. I instinctually go to, but, but I have this question or, but, but I, I feel not understood in this conversation. And I'm Mm -hmm. starting to recognize that the, the best thing for me to do is just to say, okay, and, and kind of go to, I'm going to treat people as they want to be treated, not as I think that I would want to be treated in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Kiri's message, I read it and I and I just stopped and I thought, okay, that is my new rule. I will not use that word about, about women in my life um, who with whom I have platonic friendships. Because Kiri is the expert of how she experiences that term, you know? Yeah, and that's what I always say, right? You we, the the most harmful, I think, thing we do is acting like we're expert in each other's experiences. I'm the expert in your life, and I did think when when we talked about this before that sometimes I use the word sister friend. So maybe that's a good a good better term to use instead of just I like friend, sister, sister friend. friend. Okay, we're using sister I think friend. That's beautiful. We've decided sister friend. Well, and there aren't good words when you, when some of your closest friends are men. How do you describe mm-hmm. that as a woman? Or how would a man describe a close personal friendship? We could totally do brother platonic. friend. Brother friend? I like brother friend. Sister friend and brother friend. Done. Done. We solved we something today. It. Yes. I love fall solving things. This conversation about language reminds me of one more thing we wanted to talk about quickly, which is the tragic death of Kate Spade. And some of the commentary around her death, and you posted a really fantastic Twitter thread from Farai Chidea. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. And and she makes the point that the language used in writing about Kate Spade's death, particularly from the, I mean, 
unbelievable number of think pieces from the New York Times. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that this is important, but this seemed like a lot. Uh, The language in it is really the kind of coded gatekeeping language of economic privilege. And, and, And people are writing about this as though, like, there was a time when you walked down the street and everybody had a Kate Spade purse. And she was like, I didn't. And I walked down lots of streets where I never saw one of those purses. Yeah, that was Anna Wintour in New York Times, uh, uh, notoriously not sensitive to her own privilege. And it and it was a good reminder, I think, of how no one's intention was to write that and to say the only people who matter are people who could afford Kate's bait bags. But that is how it's heard. And instead of being defensive about that, this takes me back to the point I was trying to make about girlfriends. I just need to to be quiet and listen and hear that and say, okay, I'm not the expert of everything. And also, I'm not entitled to speak in any way I damn well please and expect other people to hear it, assuming my best intentions. And mm-hmm. that's what the president does, right? He expects everybody to hear it, assuming the best of his intentions, always giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not entitled to that. And so when someone tells me something about race or sexuality or gender or economic privilege, what does it hurt for me to listen to that and say, okay, you're the, you're the expert on, on your experience of my language, and I value you enough to adjust my language as a result? Yeah, I thought what was so, so smart about this particular Twitter thread is she talks about how we use language. The sense of belonging cues throughout the piece on Spade do not just talk about her life. They are more about defining the reader audience and setting up a sense of belonging cues that definitely don't include readers like me. Two pull quotes, this one from the writers, good girls got them for their bat mitzvahs and the bad girls swiped them. And then the one from Anna Wintour, there was a moment when you couldn't walk a block in New York without seeing one of her bags. And here's the thing about language. And I will give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because I think what people are all these this um, coming of age, what I think is important to talk about with Kate Spade and her legacy is that she did breach this gap of luxury brands. I think she was not because it was I think coming of age is the, the wrong term, although, hey, listen, the first expensive purse I got in college literally when I was coming of age was a Kate Spade bag that I still own is that she she did something economically market-wise that had not been done in that way. And she did. She created a new brand that was luxury, but approachable for many, many people. Not everyone. Absolutely not. But language and the importance about precision in language is not using your privileged experience to try to convey that through emotion, but to use the precision of language without depending on those sense of belongings to convey why her life and what her legacy is. I think that's what they I think that's an important thing to convey. But if you work for the New York Times, try a little harder instead of just depending on the bubble of your New York experience to con- to reach the people you know are like you reading the story. That's what have, would have been the right thing to do. The harder a much harder thing to do. But I think that it's important. I think that is an important thing she accomplished. Um, and it's an important thing to write about. But to just use, like she said, those emotional cues playing on your own privileged experience is not the smart way and not a good way, honestly, to serve Kate Spade's legacy. But to use language in a more precise way that acknowledges the diversity of experience of everyone reading the New York Times or living in New York, like that's harder. But, you know, try harder. <laughs> and I say that to ourselves, too. We have to do that's that, That's right. I shared this on my personal Twitter feed, and I, I want to be sure to say it here. I, I took this really hard. When I started practicing law, I allowed myself 
every year during the Kate Spade sample sale to purchase one item. Mm -hmm. I never bought one at retail. Mm -hmm. And I understand that Kate Spade was, was long off on a new adventure from that company by the time I started buying those bags. Her imprint was permanent on that brand, and I always experienced shopping that sample sale like being in the mind of someone who was truly happy. That's really mm. how I thought about it. You know, someone who who turned insects into earrings and bags that felt like they were meant to go to the farmer's market to buy strawberries. I mean, I just loved the aesthetic and what I thought the aesthetic represented. And I became even more brand loyal after I heard the How I Built This podcast with Kate and Jack Spade about how they created that company. And I really idolized them. And her death and the, the information that's come out about the way she was living near the end of her life helped me understand that that idolizing people is never helpful, that we can't understand what people who seem to have really charmed existences are living through sometimes. And in that sense of we all have to do better, I think that I'm realizing that even where I think I am in a harmless way, imagining what someone else's life is like, there can be harm in that. Yeah. And and I want to be much more careful about that. I think trying to be much more careful in our language and in our politics and in our capacity to see beyond simple good and bad is a great place to be and a great place to end the show. Thank you all so much for joining us. We are excited about our episode that's coming up on Tuesday. We have an extensive discussion with Diana Butler Bass, who is the author of 10 books, including Grateful. And she puts forward a very challenging and somewhat radical vision of gratitude as a civic exercise that we think is important, and we cannot wait to share it with you. We will also be giving away copies of the book Grateful on our social media channel. So if you do not yet follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, get on it because we'll be giving away copies of her book. So we will look forward to talking with you on social media and on Patreon. And until we are back next Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Support for Pantsuit Politics comes from our listeners. We especially appreciate our executive producers, George Niedermeyer, Tracy Pidoff, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. Our theme music was written and performed by Dante Lima. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. Subscribe and leave a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player and follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic and Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics.